everybody, and thanks for listening in on our Hilco Global Smarter Perspective podcast. I'm your host, Steve Katz, and if this is your first time with us, well, then welcome. We're glad you could tune in. Today, we'll be discussing the many challenges that are facing auto suppliers right now, given all the changes that are taking place in the industry, and we'll talk about where suppliers can focus their attention and actions to help prevent distress from developing, or at least further developing if it's already a situation. So uh, with us for that conversation is Tom Boniface, uh, Senior Vice President at Hilco Commercial Industrial. Tom, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me on, Steve. Excited to do this. Yeah, well, we're really glad to have you with us today and uh, lots to talk about. But to get us started, can you give us a little little bit of a top line uh, on some of the pressing challenges that are confronting the automotive suppliers in the current uh, economic and industrial landscape. I know we're just coming right now off the um, uh, union strike, uh, which appears to have been uh, at least initially resolved, given that there are tentative agreements with all three uh, manufacturers. But maybe you can talk a little bit about that and then just give us some of the landscape of, of what's going on with suppliers and, and why it's such a difficult time overall. Yeah, glad to. Um, yeah, as of this recording, it's uh, Halloween uh, 2023 and all three, uh, OEMs have struck deals with, uh, the UAW to, uh, get back to work. Um, it was about a 40 ish day strike. Um, it was pretty unprecedented across all three suppliers too. Um, the OEM loss was about a f- billions of dollars, uh, anywhere from, you know, around a billion to about a billion and a half each over that 40 day period. Um, Kind of remains to be seen the long-term financial impact on the OEMs and supplier base, but sense in the market is that it will be most troubling um, in the long run for some of the lower-tier suppliers. Um, most interesting development out of the strike and the announcement of the um, of the agreements was the UAW's promise to start to go after unionizing the European automakers facilities stateside, uh, particularly in the Southeast and into Texas. Um, and so to also promised to go after uh, pure play EV manufacturers, i.e. Tesla, who employs about 20,000 people in their Fremont, California facility. Um, all this to say, meaning in the long run, in addition to financial distress that's felt already, there's most likely going to be more financial pressure across all suppliers from labor in the coming years. Um, on top of the UAW strike, this is an industry that and a supply chain that was really already managing a myriad of issues uh, between surging material costs, fluctuating demand in and out of the pandemic as there were supply chain issues. Um, this is an industry with pre-existing tight margins to begin with. Uh, so the ability to absorb blips in the broader economic uh, environment um, is difficult for many of these folks. On top of all that, uh, retooling uh, for a purely EV uh, line of products coming sometime in the next 10 to 20 years, uh, depending on who you ask. Um, currently across the board, interestingly, we're seeing demand for EV softening. Um, pick up your latest automotive news at the Wall Street Journal, and you'll read all about that. Um, yeah. And OEMs are even starting to push back some spending on EVs right now. Not necessarily canceling product, but some of the production targets will not be published in the short term. Um, and even some of the co-investment plans have been canceled. So um, this is, again, broadly an industry where... UAMs call the shots and the suppliers are largely along for the ride. And even with the developments um, and the push to EVs, 
Um, even some of those have been pulled back uh, prior prior to being rolled out and after um, some of the investment, a uh, significant inv- amount of investment has been made. Yeah, it's an interesting uh, and complex situation for suppliers, right? Because you had a lot of these suppliers who, uh, you know, their number one worry was, well, you know, there's no longer going to be uh, internal combustion engines <laughs> uh, made. I make uh, catalytic converters. I'm going to be out of business because now they've they basically, you know, manufacturer access said they're going to be out of the ice business by, you know, 2031. And now all of a sudden you start to wonder, and there's so many factors that are coming into play with that. Um, not the least of which is I think the uh, charging infrastructure and um, just the general lag and, you know, consumers are concerned about the range of these vehicles and where they're going to charge them. So putting suppliers in precarious situation, I think, and I know uh, I was you know, we do a lot of work with um, other divisions of Hillco, and one of the recent automotive updates pointed out that the SAAR is up over last year um, and that the OEM margins are significantly improved. But I guess the question is, why aren't suppliers sharing in the wealth along with the OEMs right now? It's a tricky question. Um, I'll try to provide a concise answer uh, as best I can. Um, so historically and legally, uh, there's no real reason for the OEs to share the profits with suppliers if they don't have to. Um, and these are situations where the negotiations are more often than not contentious. Um, OE, OEs have historically called the shots for their suppliers, uh, proverbially saying jump and the suppliers say how high, or um, you can use a little brother or a big brother, little brother. Metaphor to describe the relationship, um, but overall, it's been it's been contentious. Um, there, the suppliers are largely just along for the ride. Uh, the OEMs have all the pricing power, um, and the suppliers, again, as I said before, they they operate on raised within margins, and that's all dictated from the top. For a time, shortly after and during the COVID pandemic, um, that historical paradigm where the OEMs had all the pricing power. Um, shifted to the suppliers. The OEAs needed the supplier product. They needed them to step up now and quickly after thinking, okay, nobody's going to buy cars during COVID. Well, actually, everybody wanted a car during COVID and they needed more of them. Um, The smartest, I'd say, suppliers, um, those are who are strategic, I'd say, uh, asked for price increases when the OEs needed product, uh, and a lot of them got them. The OEs were very willing to pass along those those price increases to suppliers as they were making more and more on each vehicle that was going out. Um, there were others, though, that failed to ask for price increases in a timely manner. Um, and by the time they got around to asking, A, the supply chain issues had, had fluttered out. B, um, demand for cars had, had not fallen off a cliff but softened significantly to the point where the paradigm has shifted back to the power paradigm has shifted back to the OEs versus the suppliers. Um, and those concessions won't granted. Right now, the OEs are pushing forward to the new EV universe. Um, and it's most likely that we'll, the shift will leave many traditional ice suppliers in precarious positions uh, conservatively over the next 10 years. Um, I.e., if you're making exhaust systems or any sort of transmission parts, um, it's just a, it's not a question of if, it's more a question of when in, in many scenarios. So are there certain areas of focus or best practices right now that suppliers can follow that would help ensure their success moving ahead? I, 
I can't say like, hey, execute this playbook and 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 everything will be fine in the next few years. But working on many of these companies uh, internally, Hilcom being a part of a lot of the help that we provided to these suppliers, I could tell you the the healthiest ones and those that are able to weather the storm successfully. Um, asked to receive those price increases that I mentioned early and often throughout the pandemic. Others have proactively retooled for the new EV products and or diversify their customer base outside the auto sector. You know, if you're only tied to the OE side of things and you're making a plastic injection molded part, well, you can make a lot of those parts for anybody. Automotive specific or not, plastic injection molder is a plastic injection molder in a lot of ways, but the little retooling it can do other things. So diversifying the customer base uh, was something we saw a lot of healthy suppliers do. Um, we saw a lot of folks re- refinance their debt. Uh, that was set to mature in the 2023 to 2025 range um, in anticipation of increased interest rates that we all know eventually came and are now kind of, I want to say, wreaking havoc on the economy, but putting a lot of pressures on the economy. Mm. Um, we also saw others take advantage of federal grants uh, for investing in battery technology and production. So it, it's really like who who saw the coming wave and didn't ignore it, but just ran into it and said, okay, we're going to figure this out and we're going to embrace it as opposed to push it away. And I mean, I would imagine sort of the classic uh, balance sheet remaining uh, flexible in terms of your balance sheet and uh, cash management practices, liquidity, those are critical moving ahead as well. Yeah. Yeah. Darren. I mean, uh, looking at your entire footprint and having an honest conversation with yourself, these companies, um, you really have to assess what's necessary, what's excessive. You have to think about other avenues for increasing your liquidity. You know, that's a that's an area where Hilco has been helping these companies for 40 years. And in the in the 08 09 timeframe, we were integral to the automotive sector coming out of that difficult time um in as in as healthy way as possible. Yeah. Between helping close down GM and Chrysler plants um that were excessive to Working closely with Delphi to understand their assets and what can be sold off, what can be what need to be liquidated, uh, what can be repurposed, um, and even look at some of the brand side of things too. I hope it was integral for that. And over forty years, we've been helping companies in the automotive sector. Uh, I think more than anyone out there. Yeah, uh, clearly across the across the company, uh, and and I and I know that having had a bunch of. Uh, of your counterparts on the podcast also. So, um, all right, listen, we're, uh, unfortunately just about out of time. Is there anything you haven't, uh, touched on that you also wanted to mention today or do we cover it? Yeah. Hey, I, I, I'd be remiss if I didn't at least, uh, talk about, um, you know, some of my business, Hillco commercial industrials, uh, work in the auto sector. So I mentioned, we've been working with the supply chain for 40 years, um, we help companies understand, maximize, and monetize the value of their business and the assets, especially amid changing landscapes like the auto sector is seemingly always under. Um, our work frequently includes divestiture of excess divisions, excess operations, excess equipment. We're a solution for those kinds of situations as folks look to create greater liquidity, enable reallocation of capital to uh, EV and battery EV products, uh, technology, and other growth areas. Hilco is an institution, as I'm sure all listeners uh, here 
regularly listen to this uh, podcast, um, we're institutionally well capitalized and able to make strategic investments in asset rich businesses, um, which is largely the automotive sector through and through. And our priority is to invest and continue operations for these for these businesses facing headwinds and you know, if needed, carry any long-term exit burden. Um, one thing Hill Coast Grill on is carrying exit burdens for companies. Um, it's what got us our start 40 years ago and what still makes us a powerful player in the space right now. We're confident from our knowledge of praising, operating, monetizing this sector uh, that we're, again, uniquely positioned to, to help companies of any and all sizes uh, through the changing economic landscape. All right. Well. Uh... Great, great credentials there to be sure. And, uh, I'm guessing you're going to get some follow up calls, uh, because the reason we were doing this podcast is because there are a lot of, uh, suppliers in a tough situation right now. So if anybody does want to reach out, what's the best way to get in touch with you? Yeah. Email or phone is probably best. Um, my job is to be, uh, available. Uh, wise man once said the best ability is availability. So mm-hmm. call email anytime. Uh, email is tboniface at hilcoglobal.com, T-B-O-N-I-F-A-C-E at hilcoglobal.com. Uh, my phone number is 330-301-0964. All right, Tom. Thanks again. Great information. Really appreciate uh, you joining us today. And listeners, as always, we hope that this Smarter Perspective podcast provided you with at least one key takeaway that you can put to good use in your business or share with a colleague or client to make them that much more successful moving forward. And remember that you can always check out more great podcasts and articles featuring timely insights from Hilco experts like Tom at hilcoglobal.com forward slash smarter dash perspectives. Until next time for Hilco Global, I'm Steve Katz. 